Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Classic NBA podcast. I am Jason. With me, as usual, is Rich. Hello, Rich. What is going on? Not a whole lot. You know, just uh, enjoying a uh, NBA season. Uh, not entirely disrupted by COVID, but definitely, you know, having <laughs> some COVID-related issues. Still, We're still in a in month nine of this pandemic or whatever it is. And yeah, things are uh, yet to get uh, much better. Yeah, well, luckily uh, America will band together, and I'm sure we'll see it through uh, anytime, yeah. any any minute now. I'm sure all Americans will agree upon what to be done and 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 the sacrifices that must be made, and then we will move. Makes forward. sense. So yeah, I'm really sure. Right I'm just waiting. I'm sure it'll be tomorrow. It's not today, but I'm sure tomorrow. Everybody will come to their senses. Absolutely so. right. We'll By see. Time, yeah. <laughs> By the time this episode comes out, our our commentary now that the idea that we were not united at one point will become totally irrelevant and silly because we'll have become united and thus rendering our conversation. That's fine. Absolutely. You know what? If that if yeah. if that's a sacrifice, that's fine. You can you can laugh at me all you want. I hope I all hope right. and pray that that actually does happen. So we'll see. Well, the listeners often do, Rich. So yes, you know. Thank you. yes. Um, just kidding, buddy. Uh, so we are going to, um, we're, we are bringing back a old concept that we kind of, we kind of did a few times and then kind of forgot about and are going to bring it back because it's a, it's a fun show idea. It is the last great game for some of the NBA's greatest players. We're just, you know, p- picking off our list. Actually, we're, we're going with our uh, top 50 list that we did uh, in 2015. Now it's almost six years ago that we um, put together this list of the top 50 players. Might actually be time to revisit a little bit, but that's that's another uh, episode or series of episodes to go. But we are going to dive into six players on this list. Yeah, what's one thing that's actually interesting when, and before we dive into the players that we're going to talk about is we try to, a lot of times with our shows, we try to at least relate it in some way to like the current, you know, what's going on in the current day and on, you know, what's going on in the current season or whatnot. And we're at this weird period in the NBA where I think for the first time in a long time, I don't really like who, like in your mind, if you're thinking like who, who's going, who's on the precipice of retiring that's going to be an all time great. And the reason I ask that is it's, like, really weird because you have a lot of guys that are just, like, like, LeBron is not retiring next year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Barring, right. like, some catastrophe, he's not retiring next year. I don't think Chris Paul's retiring, you know, right away. Maybe Carmelo, but Carmelo looks like he's kind of reborn of <laughs> this, like, little second career thing he's got going. Dwight Howard's kind of reinvented himself a little bit. I, I thought he would have been on the on the path towards it. We're in this weird spot where it's, like, for the first time in a long, long time, I can't say that like, oh, well, we're going to talk about blank guy pretty soon because he's going to retire and he's an all time great. Like these dudes are just going to play forever. I think I don't know when they're ever going away. Yeah. Yeah. And with Dwight and Mello is kind of like we're way past the point. I mean, they're they're effective in what they do and they're, you know, they're they're good, you know, at, at, at roles, but they're not stars anymore. You right, know, they're right, their right. names, but they're not playing like superstars anymore. So, yeah, you're right. There isn't really that like superstar level player who's expected to kind of maintain that level and still kind of be that guy, even if it's a little bit lesser version of that guy who's anywhere. Yeah. Seemingly near retirement, you know 
given an injury or something super unexpected happening. Like I said, you know, LeBron's probably a few years away. Even Chris Paul, who would kind of be, I think, the closest yeah. to that mm-hmm. level, still is, you know, is, is it, you know, almost as good as he, um, you know, has been in the last 10 years. I mean, he's been, been about this good, you know, for the last 10 years or so, a little bit off his, you know, absolute peak before that injury, but still, you know, an, an amazing player. And uh, yeah, you're right. It, it is kind of an interesting point where there isn't that obvious guys. And we've had a wave of, of you know, retirements of, um, you know, all time great, you know, 20 you know plus year level guys, you know, obviously, you know, Kobe and, and Dirk and and Duncan and KG and, you know, Vince Carter more recently, you know, that level of guys. It's kind of like, you know, we're kind of past that generation of guys. Now we're in like LeBron's kind of the elder statement statement here. And obviously LeBron's not going anywhere. So um, it, it's sort of interesting. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about that until you mentioned it, but we are kind of it, it's sort of a. Uh, it's interesting here. It's going to be interesting if, you know, again, if we dive back into that top 50 of, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, some interesting guys who you might consider on that list, but you get none of them, you know, James Harden, uh, Kevin Durant, you know, Steph Curry are, you know, maybe a little bit past their prime, but still, you know, um, you know I think any of them capable of, you know, putting forth a MVP level season, um, you know, if called upon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it is just strange. Yeah. The all time, you know, the guys that we would consider if they retired tomorrow, the all time greats, you know, in today's current NBA, like, None of them are anywhere close to like yeah. You, right. like you said the names that you mentioned were the ones that I was going to bring up there: LeBron, Chris Paul, you know James Harden, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. Those guys are like it seems like they have a lot of years ahead of them, and it's it's pretty interesting. You know, looking at the active, you know, top ten games played leaders are all like dudes that are. I mean, some of these guys are kind of getting up there, but a lot of these guys, I'm like, yeah, they could play in the league for a little bit more. You got like LeBron, uh, Andre Iguodala. I guess Iguodala maybe, but he wouldn't, you know, fit in this category. I think of an all time, right. all time great, but you know, no. he might be in in the last few legs, you know, last leg of his career. Carmelo, I, I guess maybe, but like again, he's kind of reinvented himself uh, in a lot of ways. Dwight, like we said, has kind of reinvented himself, and then you have guys like it's like Trevor Ariza. Like I don't, I don't know, I don't think Trevor Ariza is like on the <laughs> precipice of retiring right away, and he's not an all time great anyway. And then it's like Lamarcus all all. Aldridge, Lou Williams, yeah. Paul Millsap, and Jared Smith. Thaddeus Young is eleventh in all time. Like, I, I, maybe I'm also very old because, like, I remember all these guys like being very young players too. So that's uh, that's horrifying too. Like, right? Well, like, I remember yeah, Thaddeus Young as like in like I think because he came in as I think like an older rookie or something like that, and he's already yeah, he's it's it's pretty sad. No, I guess he was 19 his first year in, in, in Philadelphia, but uh, I have vivid memories right. of 2008, and that's uh, that's horrifying. So. Sure. Well, I, I mean, you know, we're kind of in the first generation of guys who are you have had their entire careers in our adulthood, you know, pretty much. So um, that yeah, that's different, obviously. I mean, you know, the the guys who you know who just retired, most of them started. You know, you're a bit younger than I am, so definitely, you know, I was a teenager. You know, you were a younger kid. Um, you know, guys like Kobe and um, and Dirk. So yeah, it, it's a different feeling. It's like oh yeah, that it doesn't the passage of time doesn't seem as great when it happens when you're an adult versus when it happens sure. you know, when you're a kid. But um, yeah, interesting stuff. Well, uh, some fun, fun things to uh, ponder in the future, but uh, going back to the premise of our show, um, you know, we've got some all time greats to uh, talk about. Again, some of them, you know, ended their career, you know, basically on top. Some of them very much not on top. Uh, you know, we kind of get a wide range here. Um, and we, we start off with Julius Irving. Um, you know, we are picking for his last great game. It was the second to last regular season game of his career and the seventh to last game of his career because he had a five game series in playoffs. It is April 17th, 1987 against the uh, Indiana Pacers in Philadelphia. So his final regular season game in Philadelphia, the um, um, we'll get the stat line first. 38 points, 56 percent true shooting, seven rebounds, 20 assists. Or excuse me, ten, two assists. I was going to say, assists. wow, <laughs> Jackter J out there dishing the rock. Yeah, he's like, you know what? It's my final game. I'm going to pass this. Like, right. For the first yes. time ever, I've decided that sometimes maybe I should pass the ball instead of trying I, to shoot the ball. No, he had I, two. He had I, two assists. Right. Yeah. I, I'm going to go ahead and guess that nobody who's taken 31 shots in a game has ever had 20 assists. That would Only be. Like, I mean, that, that usage percentage would be quite right. <laughs> impressive. Yeah, the only person who I could think of doing that may be Wilt. But anyway, um, so, something to look up later. But uh, yeah, two. <laughs> Assists, two assists, two steals, if I could talk, would be helpful for a podcast. Uh, 25.1 game score. He scored all of his points in the first three quarters. Almost Kobe-ish, uh, you know, Kobe final game type um, yeah. oh, shooting yeah. there, you know. Um, but the, the notable thing is that he actually crossed the 30,000 point um, 
point threshold during this game. You know, he had two games left to do it, regular season games. He was 36 points away. Um, so he became only the third in NBA, ABA history to do so. Of course, you're, you're counting his ABA stats there, which, you know, you, some of the, of course, you know, um, I think it was pretty recognized then, you know, at least it wasn't officially in the record books, but you were counting the ABA and NBA stats together. Now that we have more distance from the ABA, I feel like that's a little bit less happening less often. Um, anyway, of course, you know, combining those 30,000 points, um, and yeah, the, the, uh, the Pacers actually won this game 115 to 111. The Philly did not really have anything to play for outside of the glory of Dr. J. Uh, they, their playoff seating was locked. The Pacers were fighting for playoff position with Chicago Bulls. They actually would end up one game ahead in, um, uh, in that playoff race. So, uh, not exactly the glorious roster of old, you know, uh, for Philly here, you know, we're, you know, Moses Malone's been traded away and a big contentious issue with the owner, Harold Katz. In fact, there's some parting shots at um, Harold Katz here because this, you know, is also Julius Irving night. We'll talk a little bit more about like all of the pomp and circumstance that um, was part of that. But, you know, he famously, you know, had a retirement tour with gifts to be presented to him in cities, you know, all across the NBA. Yeah, yeah, which is something we've uh, <laughs> we actually touched on uh, a little bit uh, in, in a, a, uh, an episode a long, long time ago about kind of retirement tours because, uh, you know, you and I, I think, I, I forget exactly what our stance was. It was so long ago that I had to listen, but there's some guys that get them and it's like really dorky, and then there's some guys that get it, and I, I, I totally get it. Uh, like Kareem was an awesome one. I'm glad that he got his and, and the Dr. J one, but then I think, like, you know, like Paul Pierce got one. I'm like, all right. Like, I don't think Paul Pierce needs like a gift from like you know the, the Sacramento Kings. Don't need to be giving right. Paul Pierce a gift. And and yep. uh, yeah, it became like a, a real bad thing. Like the baseball, it became like ridiculous. Like every guy that retired was getting these things. And uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I Doctor J is an interesting one. I, I I'd say yeah, I'm cool with it, but it's also kind of dorky too. <laughs> I hate to, especially this era. Doctor J is is prime like dorky dad era. Uh, Dr. J makes it a little tough, but uh, I don't know. What, what's your stance on the retirement tours? Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely think, you know, influence and importance. He definitely, he, he's up there in the all time, you know, important players of all time and great players of all time. So, you know, yeah, somebody like him or somebody like Kobe. Yeah, he, for, for sure. Um, you know, I don't think Paul Pierce was that extensive, but yeah, I would not put Paul Pierce on my list of guys who, um, deserve. I, yeah, I think it, um, Dwayne Wade had I, a I, weird one too, or it's like, ah, come well, on, it's like... yeah, that was, that, I thought that was kind of cool where he would like switch to jerseys with everybody. Like, I don't think people were giving him gifts as much. It was more like he, he was, it, it was kind of cool for him like i it was exciting to see some of the guys you know the, like the younger players who were excited about the jersey swaps and you know all the good stuff so i don't know, I, i'm um i'm probably a little bit hokier than you are and i i would say like <laughs> i'm i you know i i'm i'm all right with the retirement tours you know within you know reason so um but i go, going back to the uh the teammates for this game um he had he was playing alongside uh the glorious uh Tim McCormick. Yeah, this you know, is a bad. By the way, get ready for this. Right. Get ready for this yeah. murders row that we're going to talk about here. This right. is, this is so, not uh, the full 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 uh, Sixers of, no. of yesteryear. Not at yeah. all. No, we we've got Cliff, not Clifford, but Cliff <laughs> Robinson. Just to to uh, be clear, David Wingate, uh, Steve Coulter, uh, Roy Henson. We got Andrew Tony, who, of course, you know, uh, legend, uh, you know, Boston Strangler. But, you know, coming off the bench here, he was really, really hindered by um, double stress fractures. In fact, like, you know, basically was feuding with the team over the fact of his ability to play. They basically were like forcing him to play, even though he was hurt, which, you know, obviously a super cool thing to do. (laughs) And uh, yeah. Yeah, and then Mark McNamara. So though that's who's playing with um, Irving in this game now. Now Barkley and Cheeks are both out for this game. I'm assuming resting for a uh, playoffs, or you know, maybe might have been dinged up or whatever. They, they end up playing um, in the playoffs, so so they were fine to do that. So n- normally, yeah, it would have been a better team, but uh, but you know, it gave Doc the opportunity to, to take a lot of shots, and he absolutely took advantage of it, as we said. Yeah, that's going to be actually be a common theme with another guy we're going to talk about later uh, here. That, that it, it was a similar situation where pretty much nobody is left on the team, and it's like, all right, well, you used to be really good, so now it's all yours. Let's go, go crazy, and and uh, he does, and yeah, it's a, it's a fun game in that sense too. So I'm glad that he was able to kind of go out, you know, on, on, at the top of his powers. Yeah, maybe not in the in the most glamorous you know Sixers team or the most glamorous Sixers year, but uh, a game that was kind of you know again like you you mentioned like similar to to Kobe Bryant where it's like a bunch of young guys and they're like whatever dude just shoot all you want who cares. And that's kind of what this game sort of feels like. Yes. Um, a couple of articles. Uh, one of them, uh, Sports Illustrated by uh, 
Jack McCallum called Doc Across America. Um, he talks about during the pregame speech, basically chastised the organization for failing to create a family tradition um, on the team. Talked about how so many guys have been cut, traded, waived, or just disappeared. But too many guys leave here on bad terms. In fact, um, I, I hadn't realized this, but throughout the summer of 86, before this season, he actually was um, courted as a free agent by the Utah Jazz. Apparently came fairly you know, close to signing with the Jazz. Imagine imagine Dr. J ending his career with this, a season on the Jazz. Yeah, That's him, just, and, him, and, him and, you know, shoulder to shoulder with Mark Eaton, you know, with Mark Eaton around. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Oh, thanks, thanks, Dr. J. We appreciate it. Yeah, that would have been... Yeah. That's weird. that's yeah. Willie Mays, yeah. That's Willie Mays on the Mets, or you know, Babe Ruth right. on. I forget what the hell Boston. I think he was on some. Bo- yeah, it's, yeah, the Boston Braves. I think. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Just ugh, well, God. at least those guys are going back to like the city where they started. You know, like Taco. <laughs> True. Utah. Yeah, Taco into yeah. Utah. <laughs> Salt Lake right. City is is a little yeah. is a little yeah. much. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what would be I, the most depressing friend. Like maybe the only thing more depressing is like the Kansas City Omaha Kings or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, are they were are they were sacramented by then? They were. Oh, they're, oh that's right. They were yeah. okay by this point. So, they're sacramented. Yeah. Well, that's pathetic too. Right. Sacramento would yeah, any, basically any <laughs> any, yeah. any collection of of Kings or Royals or Sacramento yeah or, or right. kids or whatever a, is, is basically like a situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yes. So anyway, he, uh, you know, and, and um, McCallum describes this as basically like, you know, he'd been playing like Julius Irving and now he's playing like Dr. J um, just, you know, was just, you know, uh, storming to the basket with a variety of spin moves, just kind of, you know, obviously turning back the uh, the clock in this uh, game, you know, um, reaching back and snatching a performance out of time. Um, you know, and, and he talked about a little bit about the um, how, you know, the tour was kind of was great, but also it was kind of like, yeah, you know, this was all highlighting what a great human being and a great guy he was. But finally, yeah, he could he could play a little bit, too, and kind of showing like, you know, why, you know, the fact that he was Dr. J, um, you know, was the reason that he was getting this acclaim, not just because he was obviously, you know, the uh, ambassador of the sport and all that good stuff. And yeah, uh, Pat Riley had a good quote here as um there, there have been some better people off the court, uh, like a few mothers in the Pope, but there was only one Dr. J, the player. So I like that. That, that is good. We're going yeah, to that, that, get Pat's due there, even though, you know, awesome. we, yeah. Um, and there's yeah, also more specifically, there's uh, some of the ceremony um, from McCall.com. Uh, you, you know, there was a, a 45 minute ceremony included uh, presentations by the governor, the mayor of Philadelphia and uh, Patty LaBelle from Philadelphia gave a, uh, gave a song uh, on here, but uh, you know, they, they talked about the crowd was filled with people dressed in tuxedos. Um, you know, they gave him, there's a 15 minute video presentation about uh, his era. Um, and then, yeah, he, he talked specifically, you know, he talked about how, yeah, when I come back, here's a spectator's regular season. I want to look in the Raptors and see a sign that says Steve Mix played here. Caldwell Jones played here. Larry Costello played here. Will Chamberlain played here. Feeling like, you know, none of those guys had been, you know, kind of given their due. And I think they you know, kind of were notoriously about, um, you know, uh, negligent about retiring numbers. I mean, yeah, they didn't even retire Moses Malone's number until I think after he passed away um, just a few years ago. So, um, you know, even more recently, they've, they've kind of had kind of had that problem. So I, I thought that was um, definitely interesting to see. But a couple more notes on this before we move on. Um he was the third oldest player in the league at this point behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Artis Gilmore. Um, and his career, as we mentioned, would officially end at the end of a first-round series versus the Bucks. His final game would be in Milwaukee. He did have one more storied standout playoff game in Philadelphia, Game 4, in which he had 22 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, and 2 blocks to help keep the uh, Sixers alive before they end up falling to the Bucks um, in this series. So, good stuff. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to uh, current uh, Brooklyn Nets head coach, Steve Nash, or co-coach with Kyrie Irving, I think. I, I don't know if that's still, <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I don't possibly. know if that's still going on, but uh, right. uh, co-coach, yeah. <laughs> Brooklyn Nets co-coach, uh, Steve Nash here. Uh, last great game, we're going to go to uh, February 1st, uh, 2012. Uh, he is still with the Phoenix Suns at this point. The stat line, 30 points, 10 assists, 13 of 16 from the field. Uh this is similar to kind of the, the Sixers that you talked about here. This Suns team is far from their peak. 
uh, of the mid two thousands. Although still a pretty okay roster, still a decent roster. Uh, definitely a, a, a definitely a changed one and a different one around Steve Nash. So of course they make two Western Conference Finals in the uh, two thousand five and two thousand six season. Uh, then things kind of get a little weird for the Suns. They retool, they refocus, they do some weird stuff. Steve Kerr comes in as like a president, and D'Antoni is is gone, and and the seven seconds or less thing kind of goes away. And instead they go to a more traditional approach. The idea that oh the seven seconds or less stuff is not going to work in a playoffs. We need to be a more well-rounded, more kind of normal team uh, in that sense. So they bring in Shaquille O'Neal, a very old, <laughs> haggard Shaquille right. O'Neal, who actually had, like, you know, I, it, it's kind of funny that the narrative is that, like, he was already completely toast by the time he came to Phoenix. He was pretty damn good. If you look at his Phoenix runs, it's it's like the team kind of stinks because it's not, like, as fun as they used to be. But he's still a pretty damn good player, and we'll talk about it in a sec. They had a, a, a real uh, big surprise. So Shaq comes on. Uh, he's coupled with Amari, who is still great and getting better. Uh, Steve Nash, who is still very good, and Sean Marion, and all the uh, you know all the kind of well-rounded uh, Phoenix Suns players. And um, you know, there's some initial growing pains, obviously, with this new Suns team in the first year. You know, it does not work out well. But then uh, 2010, they kind of surprised the NBA world. They win 54 games. Uh, new coach Alvin Gentry gets them to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, they actually bring the Lakers to six games, which I, 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 I it's like you always kind of forget about that last little breath of you know air that that Suns franchise yeah. and Suns dynasty had. You think it kind of ends in in the mid two thousands, and it's not. It does kind of keep going right. uh, for a few more years here. But uh, ultimately, they ultimately they fall uh, to the Lakers in six games. And uh, believe it or not, as of this recording, that is the last Suns playoff berth <laughs> that that. that franchise has had so yeah hopefully yeah, uh, I, this year looks like it should change that but you know we'll yeah season's we'll young well, hopefully it does but uh anyway a lot of things changed that next year that was really the last gasp of the entire franchise because uh that offseason amari goes to new york uh leandro barbosa is traded for hito turgalu hito turgalu is traded like two days later whatever the hell it was uh to uh orlando for vince carter and martian gortat uh, so the team is completely transformed. Goran Dragic, who you know some people might forget was kind of an up and coming point guard under Steve Nash, is sent away uh, for Aaron Brooks. So uh, a lot of not good deals <laughs> happening uh, uh, for Phoenix, and yeah, none of them really work out. Suns finish under five hundred uh, for the first time since two thousand four. Uh, they missed the playoffs, and uh, really, despite the turmoil, Nash, who's now thirty six years old, starting to get up there in age, uh, he remained a pretty consistent player even this year. That you know the Suns are kind of falling apart here. Uh, Fourteen point seven points per game, uh, eleven point four assists per game. Games uh, there. Uh, so we get into the next season. This is the lockout shortened year of 2011 uh, 2012. Uh, Suns, eh, things are not going well. Nash is going to make his eighth All Star game, but the team is struggling mightily. And clearly, they're setting the stage for the rebuild. I mean, out are a lot of the old guys. And now you have, you know, Gortad, who's only 27, Jared Dudley, who's only 26, uh, Shannon Brown, who's 26 at this point, uh, Channing Fry, who's 28, and then, oh yeah, 39 <laughs> year old Grant Hill, who had like resurrected his career and was actually a really solid uh, role player at this point. And then, of course, you have Steve Nash, who's getting up there uh, in age as well. And uh, his, his numbers are going to fall a bunch in the season down to, you know, 12.5 points per game, 10.7. Um, uh, a CISPR game, but uh, this you know is going to be the final year for for Steve Nash in Phoenix. Uh, he'd of course move to Los Angeles next year in the uh, very not fun. And now this is going to be fun. <laughs> Lakers with uh, Dwight and Kobe, and it was it was not fun. It was anything but, and uh, that was not a good run for Nash. His assist numbers plummet. Injuries really kind of take their toll on him. He only plays fifty games, and then he plays ten games uh, in twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen, and then officially calls it quits, uh, and he's done. But we're going to go to the last great game of his career. In February of 2012, as we said, uh, the Suns are struggling 7-13 and coming into the game. Uh, the post-Chris Paul New Orleans Hornets, who are a very uh, stellar 4-17 and at this point coming in. So, uh, yeah, this is not a great year for, for New Orleans, not a great year for uh, Phoenix. But uh, Steve Nash turns back the clock a little bit. He leads, uh, he leads Phoenix to a 120-103 win. Uh, he scores 30 points, dishes out 10 assists, as we said. Uh, this game is also very notable too, and a, a, a one that you know I didn't even really realize until I picked it. That uh, in this game, uh, Steve Nash will set the Suns franchise record for career assists at six thousand uh, five hundred nineteen as he uh, passes to Josh Childress for a transition bucket, and that uh, that lets Nash. Uh, break, beat the old record uh, set by Kevin Johnson, longtime Suns point guard Kevin Johnson, who, ironically enough, uh, Nash backed up when he first entered uh, the NBA with the Suns. So pretty cool uh, little thing there. So uh, just a little note at the conclusion of that game, 
Uh, Nash has 9,441 assists in his NBA career, so he's sixth all-time. Uh, he would eventually, over the next few seasons, it was kind of a jumbled mess of like guys that are really, really close to him, and he's able to, despite having two kind of not-so-so, you know, pretty so-so years, uh, he is able to kind of leap over uh, Magic Johnson and Oscar Robertson and a few others uh, and finish third all-time in, in career assists behind only John Stockton uh, and Jason Kidd. He's at 10,335. And uh, this game here is, uh, is is Nash's first 30-point game since January 2010, so quite a long time uh, between 30-point games there. He did that, uh, 30 points and 11 assists uh, against Milwaukee. And uh, this game is like an all-time great Steve Nash. I mean, not only like his last great game, but like a great, like an all-time great, great game uh, by Steve Nash. This is his eighth-best game score of his entire career uh, and his first 30-plus game score uh, since January 26, 2011 as well. So turns back the clock for one night with a struggling Suns team and, yeah. Kind of the last, uh, the last year of, of that team and that franchise, and really of Steve Nash being Steve Nash, because the Lakers Steve Nash, I'd like to kind of just consider that not Steve Nash. So right, I mean, so your your Lakers bias didn't allow your your anti Lakers bias rather didn't allow you to pick from any of the uh, sixty seven games that uh, Nash played. With. <laughs> they yeah. were really bad. <laughs> you can go. Yeah, <laughs> they're, not, they're uh, so sad. Yeah. There's a few. There's like a few that are okay. None of them feel like traditional like Steve Nash. The problem is he like he doesn't get any assists anymore for some reason. I, I right. well, I'm sure. You know, pass um, the ball to yeah. Kobe Bryant will reduce right. the amount of assists that you get, and, right. and uh, Dwight was terrible. So I'm sure when you pass the ball to him, he just kind of like did nothing with it. But yeah, it's it's weird. You would think that I, I was I was digging. I really tried to dig the, into the Lakers one. But if you remember, like you know, he plays what two games that first year with the Lakers, and then immediately gets hurt, and then he's out for a month or so, and then comes back, and he's got some okay games, but he just. Yeah, it doesn't really, I don't know. He just doesn't feel like Steve Nash again. We don't get those big scoring outbursts. We don't get just that complete game from him uh, as much as we did. And then, yeah, the next year, obviously, he plays, what, five, ten games, and then he's, he's out for uh, forever, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, probably the best one that I can find, you know, quick search, is uh, late 2013, uh, March 2013, against the uh, the Warriors in Oakland, uh, 21 points, nine rebounds, which is like one of ten games he had nine plus rebounds yeah. in his career. <laughs> Uh, seven assists and a steal, no turnovers. Um, that's a twenty-one point five game score, which is you know solid game score. Um, you know, obviously not a super special game, but that's kind of the closest. But again, not really the you know again hit more rebounds and assists, so not not exactly the type of performance you you know normally associate with Steve Nash. But that's probably his best performance. That was the twenty-first to last game of his uh, career. As you know, he'd have a couple more. Um, it, just a handful um, more, a couple of playoff games at the end of 2013. And then, yeah, just, um, you know, he he played a little bit in the beginning of the 2014 season and, and then came back in like February and, and, and had a couple here and there, you know, up until uh, April where he you know, finally, finally called quits at age 40. So yeah, there's one game um, that I did want to pick. It was, uh, you know, February of 2014 where he's actually back and, and, and playing for the Lakers. The problem, though, is it's like a such un-Steve Nash game because he has 19 points. And you're like, oh, that's cool. He only has yeah. five assists. And you're like, oh, that's all right. But the, yeah. he's eight of 15 from the field. And you're like, that's not. No, I'm not going to like right. I'm just like, he, you close your eyes and you envision like Steve Nash doing that, like where he barely right. jumps that like layup that, he you know, he great at like those finger rolls and stuff like that. And you're like, no, he never misses sure. any of those shots. He always makes every single one of those. But in the time, well, he missed a lot of them. So. That was actually his 40th birthday, that game. Um, oh, geez. There you go. Yeah. So, anyway, a uh, couple of, uh, you know. Other options if you want to depress but, yourself. I, I think the Nash, I, I think the one you chose is definitely the most um, re- reflective and close enough to the end of his career. Yeah. I, yeah, think. yeah. I think it's a good choice. So, yeah, next we have uh, Charles Barkley, another, uh, both the Phoenix Suns and um, and uh, Philadelphia 76ers history, of course. Uh, this uh, occurring when he was with the Houston Rockets. Uh, later on in his career, of course, uh, the last great game that was chosen for him, May 13th, 1999 in the playoffs, the Rockets taking on the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, them again. Uh, this was game three of the 1999 Western Conference first round series. Lakers at this point were up 2-0. Uh, the Rockets winning this game 102-88 at home. Uh, they would end up losing the Lakers in game four to end their season. Uh, this is, uh, of course, the lockout season. Scotty Pippen had joined the team uh, in the offseason. You know, of course, we've got an aging Akeem, uh, Lashwan, aging Barkley, um, Clyde Drexler had retired, and Scotty Pippen's coming in. He's got his money, and he's like, yeah, I'm ready to be the man. And, <laughs> right. uh, finally, uh, finally uh, have my chance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that the vibes were not so good. Um, you know, 
Matt Bullard would later say that like Charles, uh, you know, had to take a pay cut in order for Scotty to sign his big contract and come to the Rockets. Um, you know, and I think that the personalities didn't, you know, didn't uh, med well. Scotty didn't really like try to ingratiate itself into the roster of the team and it rubbed Charles the wrong way. And Charles would later say like, you know, um, you know, Scotty came in and saw that, you know, um, Akeem and I couldn't play anymore and he wasn't happy about that. So, um, not ideal. Pippen was awesome in this game. 37 points, 13 rebounds played uh, in all 48 minutes. Akeem, not awesome in this game. Only five points on twelve of uh, two of 12 shooting and six rebounds. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, kind of going back a little bit in terms of where Barkley was, uh, you know, his time in Houston. This was his third year in Houston. He joined uh, the Rockets in the 1996 offseason after four years in Phoenix, but he kind of worn out his welcome there. Um the uh, Barkley, Akeem, Drexler Rockets, you know, peaked in 1997. They had a Western Conference Finals loss in six games to the Jazz. And they lost in the first round to the Jazz again in um, 1998. So, uh, you know, basically after this, you know, everyone kind of realized that, um, you know, it was going to be time to move on. You know, Pippen ended up um, being traded to the trailblazers and the rockets would, you know, kind of soon realize like, Hey, we've got Steve Francis and, you know, maybe we can, you know, maybe Steve franchise, you know, he's going to take us into the next. Century. <laughs> I'm sure. You know, oh be, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Be great. Yeah. Um, Stabilizing you know, factor for our team. <laughs> you know, that's right. what we need. Eventually, yeah. but they did, you know, they embrace the youth movement. They get Yao Ming, you know, they'd, they'd be all right, you know, pretty soon. Um, something I'd kind of forgotten about though, is that Barkley, um, the situation for his last season. So he only plays 20 games in, in the 2000 season, he announces, you know, early on or before the season, it's going to be his last season. Um, and he, he did have some strong performances here and there. There's his third to last career game. He actually had um, uh, 25 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists with the 25 uh, game score. But, you know, over the season, he averaged 14.5 points per game, 10.5 rebounds per game on 43% true shooting, which, you know, not awful, you know, considering his age um, and his role, but, you know, obviously, well below the uh, standard that he had set uh, throughout his career. But he played 19 games in November and December 1999. Then he ruptured his left quadriceps tendon um, on December 8th, actually in Philadelphia, of course, where it all began. Um, you know, and then there's uh, an article from the Washington Post that, you know, comes out, you know, right after there, you know, describes um, Barkley with his, you know, bloodied left knee wrapped in ice, sitting on a training a table, uh, you know, crying as he talked to his wife on the phone and, you know, realizing like, Hey, it's over, you know? Um, and, um, you know, the doctors had told him that he would need surgery, would take at least six months to recover. And then he said, you know, it said, he, I knew it was over when I saw it. I knew it was over when it first happened, the way my kneecap was bulging through my leg. I said, well, it's been fun. I knew immediately that it was over. And he, he the whole idea was that he was going to get a farewell tour, you know, he was, yeah. which, um, yeah, yeah, you know, I think Barkley definitely merits that, but that's a really interesting one given, you know, the, um, you know, he's not like, you know, warm and fuzzy and, you know, the, the, the ambassador to the game that, I mean, he is in a way, but not in like the Dr. J way. Yeah, he he would have been. That would have been really interesting to test a lot of these teams that are probably like you know they there's probably stars on a lot of these teams and players and coaches on these other teams that are like nah, I really kind of hate this guy. Like, do we really have to you know give right. him something? Do we have to really like hand him a you know the yeah. keys to the city or whatever? Like, screw this guy. We don't really like him. So that would have been really interesting to see if if maybe people would have when they realized that was the end of Barkley. That okay, it's the end. But like okay, there, there's you know we didn't always love him. We maybe didn't always see it eye to eye. But he was an important part of the NBA, an important part of the NBA uh, during sure. its rise to dominance or whatever yeah that would have been fascinating to see uh who would have swallowed their pride and who would have just kind of because i it's not that he had like the thing with barkley which is is, is interesting despite the fact that he like i think maybe because he pissed like everybody off like he almost in a way pissed no like i don't right. know if i can other than like you know scotty pippen obviously who we've talked about here like there's yeah. not really like people that really feel like they have feuds with charles barkley you know what i mean when he yeah. retired it wasn't really like that like everybody kind of hated him at one point but in the end they were just like well that's charles whatever that's like yeah, yeah yeah i I mean, the humor helps, and um, yeah, there's not like one fan base that I can think of that has a big problem with Charles Barkley. It's like every, you know, and he didn't. I, I also, you know, he wasn't his teams weren't necessarily dominant enough to really like, you know, make anybody mad in terms of like. Yeah, obviously, he was successful, but he never won a finals. You know, only went to the finals that one time. Um, so it wasn't like he had the opportunity to make them mad on that level either. So um, yeah, it's 
kind of interesting. But uh, you know, going back to his last season, he actually returned for one final game, like just um, you know about four months later um, on uh, April nineteenth, two thousand. It was the final game of the season. He played six minutes in that game. He actually wore number four, um, and he, he scored a memorable basket on an offensive rebound and putback, and walked off the court. You know, right at the end to a uh, standing ovation, which is you know really cool. Um, you know, it's in Houston. Um, later he says, I can't explain what tonight meant. I did it for me. I've won and lost a lot of game, but the last memory I had was being carried off the court. I couldn't get over the mental block of being carried off the court. It was important psychologically to walk off the court. My own, it's cool. There's a really on YouTube. There's a cool inside the NBA segment on it. Um, we'll try to include that in the show notes, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't. Th- I guess I, I just either completely forgotten about it or really wasn't paying close attention to the NBA at this time. So I had no idea about the story, but it's it's kind of neat. Yeah, that is cool. I don't know that I, I like. I'm I'm sure I did know about that at one point, but yeah, I I, I don't really remember that very much. You know, happening and and uh, it's really cool. Yeah, I'm gonna go actually check the. Uh, I'll check out the video after uh, we're done recording here to go watch it just to see. But yeah, I don't uh, I don't recall ever seeing it. Uh, you know, I I'm, I'm sure I knew about it, but yeah, it's it's cool. That's a right. fun yeah. thing. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to uh, Wilt Chamberlain is our next guy here. Uh, last great game for Wilt Chamberlain. And and, and so this is I, – I have one at the end that's like a – one that probably works better, but I feel like this game represents Wilt Chamberlain a little bit more. So I, I will I will explain it when it's done, and then I will also tell you uh, the honorable mention of the game that I think maybe probably should have been the pick, but the reason why I picked this one. So anyway, uh, this is going to be uh, J- January 5th. 1971 Los Angeles Lakers versus the Cincinnati Royals in Omaha, Nebraska. Of course, we'll talk about that yeah, in a minute. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. Things get a little weird and, and wild, and we'll talk about it. 41 points, 23 re- rebounds. Just a classic uh, Wilt here. I don't need to go into too much of the background of Wilt Chamberlain. It's it's freaking Wilt Chamberlain. You probably know the story. If you don't, you could find it on your own or listen to any of our prior episodes related to Wilt Chamberlain. But uh, anyway, we're going to talk about his Lakers run here because I think that's probably the part that, that's most relevant to you know these final games and this final moment uh, of Wilt Chamberlain's career. So prior to the year that Wilt comes into town, the Lakers lose in the NBA Finals, and then they add Wilt Chamberlain, which is a nice little asset to have. It's, hey, we lose the Finals. Let's add Wilt Chamberlain. And he helps them jump to 55 wins. But unfortunately, the result is the same, a loss in the NBA Finals. They don't uh, quite get there. And uh, the final game of that series, of course, ends up being one of the more famous Game 7s in NBA history, one that we've talked about. We did a whole series uh, on Game 7s back back many, 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 many moons ago in our archives. But uh, this one's famous because Lakers owner Jack Kent Cook uh, puts balloons in the rafters to celebrate the Lakers' eventual win over the Celtics. We're going to do it right here, right now. I'm going to get the balloons in the rafters. I'm going to get the O'Brien trophy in there. Everything's going to be good. Well, it doesn't quite happen. Uh, that of course the Celtics end up winning, but maybe even more famously, Chamberlain does not play the last six minutes of the game. Uh, that's also that's due to quote injury, but also controversy arises uh, that Lakers coach Butch Van Vandenkoff, uh held him off uh, the courts, did not let him back in the game. There's kind of conflicting reports. Van Vandenkoff at one point says he's too hurt. Wilt says he's too hurt. Uh, Russell says, oh, he should, he could. There's no way he was that. Like that's a very we we discussed it at length in that that prior episode. If you go back and and listen to it or do kind of your own, this is a whole different story for another day of who's right, who's lying, what the exact situation was. All you need to know: Wilt doesn't play the final few minutes of the game. Another Lakers loss in the finals. Celtics win. Pretty much just another year for Will Chamberlain. It's, you know, losing the NBA Finals to the Boston Celtics. Pretty common thing uh, that he happened. So the next year, 1970, uh, Will suffers one of his, you know, first and really only major injuries of a career uh, as he ruptures his right patellar tendon. And uh, interestingly enough, I'm thinking, oh, well, that must have been his entire year. Well, no, he, like... Misses most of the year, but he actually does the final three games of the year. He comes back. Uh, the Lakers charge to the NBA Finals again, and they would take on the New York Knicks. And uh, a few Willis Reed limps later, and it was three straight finals losses for Wilt and the Lakers. So, um, not great. <laughs> 1970. Uh, so, things get changed a little bit in 71. The Lakers retool. Uh, they sign Gail Goodrich, uh, who they trade a couple years back to Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix just says, yeah, take him. We don't care. What do we need Gail Goodrich for? Take him. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, and the Lakers say, okay, thank you. We're going to take Gail Goodrich back. And uh, Chamberlain takes a bit of a backseat this year. He scores uh, only... 20.7 points per game. So that's if for Wilt, you're, you know, Wilt only scoring 20 is, is, is bad. He uh, still has a league, uh, a league leading 18.2 rebounds per game though. So don't worry. He's still getting those boards, but uh, injuries really start becoming a problem for these Lakers teams at this point. Uh, Elgin Baylor has his Achilles injury. Uh, Jerry West goes down with a knee injury. Uh, Lakers are hobbled and they really kind of have to lean on Wilt more than they had in, in, in some time towards the later uh, half of the season. And that gets us to this game here on January 5th. 
1971 as the depleted Lakers are without West or Baylor. So similar to uh, uh, the Dr. J game here, it's pretty much just Wilt and, and whoever's left. And who's left is, you know, Gail Goodrich, Willie McCarter, Keith Erickson, uh, Happy Hairston, and Pat Riley. Well, Happy Hairston doesn't help out. He's like one of seven from the field. Uh, Gail Goodrich doesn't do a whole lot. So it's pretty much just Wilt. And he turns back the clock. Uh, he explodes for 41 points on 17 of 26 shooting. Uh, this is his first 40-point game since all the way back in October of 1969. Uh, and it's also the 271st and final 40-plus uh, game uh, of Will Chamberlain's career as well. Uh, as I said at the top, this game is played in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, the Cincinnati Royals at this time are playing a handful of games uh, in Omaha. They would do that from 1968 until about 1972. Uh, in that time, too, they also play games in Cleveland, Dayton, and Columbus. So, uh Cincinnati fan base not very rapid here as as the team plays in five different cities in addition to uh, their home city but uh, yeah that's that's that uh, anyway in 1972 the uh, the franchise does officially move uh, to Kansas City and Omaha as they split games until 1975 until they officially become the Kansas City Kings oh but don't worry they still play a few games in Omaha from time to time so yes it's very not confusing <laughs> yeah not convinced to get off believe no. it or not sacramento is the stability for this franchise <laughs> like, like for as bad and as weird as the sacramento kings have been it's like the first bit of of stability for the cincinnati royals kansas city omaha kings whatever it, it's quite the disaster for that franchise that feels snake bitten really <laughs> that's right the former Rochester Royals, too. The fuck? I've, I've even yeah, forgot they were there. Right. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't find anything. But yeah, the Cincinnati run, not uh, not 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 great. Well, you're an Ohioan. Is it like, does anybody have any nostalgia for the Cincinnati Royals? Like, uh, No one that I know. I mean, there probably are people who, um, you know, perhaps close to the Cincinnati area. I'm a couple hours away from Cincinnati. Right, right, so. right. But yeah, there's not a whole lot of conversation about uh, about the Royals, uh, you know, in in my neck of the woods outside of uh, outside of you. You're the only person who I've probably ever had a conversation about. The Royals. Royals, yeah. you, you, you are anyone on the show, you know. That's yeah, that's about it. So yeah, yeah. it's it's a weird. Yeah, it's not good when like you are in a city, but then you're playing in five other cities. That's probably uh, not not an ideal thing, especially in this no. era uh, of the NBA. But anyway, the reason why I picked this this game is is obviously he gets 40, 40 plus points and all these rebounds or whatever, but it's a great Wilt throwback performance because he scores a shit ton. He gets a bunch of rebounds, but the Lakers lose to the Royals, <laughs> 146 to 112, which is just a perfect <laughs> chef's kiss to Wilt Chamberlain's yeah. career. It's like, uh, go out there and dominate everything, and now he's still going to lose anyway. Sorry. <laughs> like, like, what the hell? Like, just... Yeah. Oh, it stinks. Anyway, they go 22 and uh, 18 on the year, uh, or uh, they dropped this game after this uh, 22 and 18. But actually, interesting enough, Wilt would help the Lakers uh, to a Western Conference Finals berth uh, against the upstart Milwaukee Bucks and their new star, Luel Cinder. Uh, that doesn't go all that well because the Bucks and Luel Cinder, of course, beat them and, and, and obviously would go on to uh, win the finals that year. Uh, but it all ends pretty well the next year as Bill Sharman is brought in uh, as the coach of the Lakers. They go on a 33-game win streak the next year. They win a record 69 games in the regular season and then defeat the Knicks in uh, in the 1972 NBA Finals for the uh, first championship uh, for the Lakers in Los Angeles. Wilt is named Finals MVP and has a really, really good Game 5 of the Finals. He scores 24 points, 29 rebounds, 8 assists, and 8 blocks. And I wanted to pick that game because that is a great Wilt game. It's an awesome Wilt game. But doesn't scoring 40 and losing to the Royals... Doesn't that, that doesn't that feel like that just represents Wilt a little bit better? From a certain point of view, I agree. Yeah, um, like I hate it. Yeah, I hate it because yeah. I love Wilt, but it's right, just like that's right. a perfect representation. Like he does everything he possibly can, and his depleted team still loses to some crappy, you know, franchise that nobody like the Royals or whatever. But this game is obviously awesome. This game five of the finals, and I did want to mention this: twenty four points, as I said, twenty nine rebounds, eight assists, uh, and eight blocks. And actually, an interesting note here. Uh, blocks were not counted at that time, but uh, people have gone back and watched the broadcast. And uh, and Keith Jackson, who does the famous obvious sports broadcaster, uh, Keith Jackson, counts every one of Wilt blocks <laughs> for some reason. He he makes a note to say, oh, that's his second block. That's his third block. That's his fourth. Hey. So people can actually deduce that he had eight blocks uh, in that game. So it won't show up in any box scores. You won't be able to find it on Game Finder or whatever. Uh, but he, uh, per Keith Jackson's keen eye, uh, has eight points uh, in that game. So. Anyway, uh, yeah. Will would go on to play one more NBA season. Uh, he'd lose to the Knicks in the finals, which is a fitting way to end his career. Uh, and he actually finishes the game and his career with a dunk. Like, seconds left on the clock, they're losing, and he just dunks it. He just scores one more one more yeah. basket just for good measure. And then sure. Wilt is gone from the NBA to move on to, well, this thing, San Diego Conquistadors and professional yeah, volleyball. Right. And sure. That's a different story for a different day, so... 
Right. I, I would like to mention just just for the record that that final game, twenty three points and twenty one rebounds. So he entered his career with a twenty twenty uh, game. Yeah. Which, oh uh, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> like he's still great. Yeah. That's, that's uh, yeah. That well, is yeah. awesome. I mean, honestly, if if you're yeah. cheating, that would just be like the last great game is like every right. game of Will Chamberlain's career, including yeah. his literal final game. But uh, right. I, I, that's a spoiler because I, I have a guy here that I'm going to talk about in a right. bit. But to me, the right. forty point twenty rebound and then lose to the Royals' performance was just. Too much to I, too, too much to pass up. For that. I, I I love that's an excellent that's a deep dive. You you did a lot of work to pull that one because that's, that's not you know that's a couple years you know obviously before he retires. So he has a lot of you know really good and important performances. But yeah, you you captured the essence so well there. So uh, kudos to you, sir. Next, we are moving on to Walt Frazier. Um, his uh, we we've chosen uh, February seventeenth, nineteen seventy eight. He is uh, with the the Cleveland Cavaliers at this point, and he um, has twenty one points, four rebounds, five assists, three steals, a twenty one point five game score. Um, he had been traded from the Knicks near the start of the season. He actually played fairly well for the Cavs. His overall numbers were. Um, 16.2 points per game, 4.1 assists, 1.5 steals. So pretty much in line with what he'd been doing the last couple of years with the um, Knicks. You know, he's no longer like an elite player, but still, you know, a uh, a pretty to very good one. Uh, the Cavs were chasing the number three seed in the East along with the, the um, Bullets and the Knicks. Though he didn't quite feel like he fit into the established team or to coach Bill Fitch. More on that later, in fact. Um, by the way, as an aside, there, there was a game that I – considered choosing that was very early um on his Cleveland today like his fourth game there and his first game back against the Knicks which was 28 points eight rebounds four assists and five steals and a uh and a 117-112 OT win but I feel like this um this game that we're going to talk about kind of it tells the story of the end of his career a little bit better um so or I guess leads into the story of the end of his career because this is basically you know very close to the end of his career, but nobody really knew it yet because three days after this, he'd hurt his foot in a game against the bulls, losing his balance on a drive on artist Gilmore. And that, you know, pretty much marked the end of his career. He would only play 15 more games over two seasons with the Cavs, um, and would, would be feuding with the organization, especially bill Fitch, um, afterward. It, it was very sad. So, a um, couple of New York Times articles that I um, that I found. Um, one was, um, you know, talking about how um, it, there was uh, an article written. It was by Tony Kornheiser, actually, um, who wrote about you know what happened after um, you know the injury. You know, basically, um, Fraser said that the pain was staggering, that he was crying, rolling and screaming, crying. You know, he couldn't hold me still. It's like when you cut a snake's head off and he keeps rolling. Um, so he rested for, you know, kind of a few months. He was intending to come back toward the end of that 78 season. And then, like, Bill Fitch told reporters saying, like, oh, if I had that injury, I'd play. And Fraser's like, <laughs> like, what an all-time just dickhead quote that is. You know what I right. mean? Like, just the, what the hell, dude? Come on. Right. And then Fraser's like, like, listen, like, yeah, I want to go to the playoffs. I want to play at the Knicks. Like, yeah, like, you know, why would you accuse me of, like, tanking? Like, there may be other situations where, like, yeah, maybe you could see a player not really wanting to come back. But, like, in the playoffs against the team that traded me away, you know, that I already, you know, destroyed earlier on in the season, yeah, I, I definitely in that. But he also said, well, this summer I started reading the Bible. I've learned to forgive. I'm older now, more mature. I'm not the same as I was in New York. That's why I went back. Um, but, um, and there's another article from New York Times when uh, he ends up, being put on waivers by the Cavs, you know, into the 79 at the beginning of the 1980 season. And then Phil Jackson, who's now an assistant with the uh, Nets, who said, you know, it's, it's rather embarrassing for the NBA and Clyde for him to go out this way. Obviously, there's a better way. Look at how the Celtics nursed along Havlicek until the end of the season so that he could go out with all that grandeur. The Cavaliers could have done the same thing for Clyde. All they had to do was run some plays with him, and he still had 30 minutes of good basketball left in, but they didn't clear in Cleveland. He meant nothing to the management, the fans, or the press in Cleveland. He means more to New York. And uh, Frazier was trying to see if he could go with the 76ers, but uh, Billy Cunningham said, well, I pretty much can't – we really can't do that. Um, there was an issue at the time because they'd gone from 12-man rosters to 11-man rosters because of cutbacks, so that you know he wasn't going to be able to do that. And uh, But he did say that basically he thought that – 
Clyde was the third best guard in NBA history. Only Jerry West and Oscar Robertson were better, which is kind of gives a kind of a sense of where Frazier um, was uh, during that time. So, you know, kind of, kind of found that interesting. And, um, you know, Frazier did say, you know, he was famously not happy about his time in Cleveland, but he did also say that like being stuck in Cleveland and being in that situation um, kind of made him realize like, the, like if he just stayed in New York, he would have felt like he had to still like remain Clyde and never really would have like matured and grown up and going to Cleveland and facing that adversity actually kind of like helped him grow up. So oh, that was kind of cool to say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it does kind of stink that, you, you know, you know, I might be against, you know, the, the gift giving of, of, of guys final runs, but I like, you know, I love knowing when it's, it is a guy's final run or when a guy says, Hey, I'm retiring after this year or whatever. Like, cause that's cool. Cause then any, you know, it's an opportunity for fans to go see this, you know, the guy. It's a, it's an opportunity right. for, you know, whatever you want to do, whether it's, you know, just players coming up and saying stuff. Cause I'm sure, you know, especially someone like a, a Walt Frazier who had such an impact on the game, but, you know, in, in, in so many different ways and was a part of one of the more famous and successful teams, you know, uh, of, of his era. It's like, and one of the more, you know, well known teams and more popular teams of his era. It just kind of sucks that, yeah, he just kind of limps out of his career and that's never you know both literally and figuratively you know limps out of his career in, in, in Cleveland and it does always kind of suck I just hate when, when guys leave like that I, I I love when guys say hey this is it for me this is my final year well we'll talk about a guy here in a minute uh you know the next guy we're gonna talk about uh who who did it the right way and 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 yeah you mentioned a few guys there with you know Havlicek and and, and some others but yeah it always kind of it always kind of hurt you know it's kind of stung me the wrong way that yeah Clyde just kind of like you know limps out as a Cleveland Cavalier with like a bad team and he's not very good and it's just like oh man just stinks right yeah. I mean, even like one last game in the garden where he could have gotten some cheers and could have gotten some. You know, yeah, right, right, right. Or like it was his last game, you know, certainly would have been better than, than what he got. But, you know, it's, it's all right. He's, he's had a good life. So I think yeah, he's, I think. yeah, I think he's made it work for him. So I yeah, think he's doing okay right, right now. I'm sure Clyde is, yeah. is just fine. So. Exactly. Yes. All right, so we'll stop. Uh, we'll, we'll finish, I should say, here with uh, David Robinson. Uh, really interesting year here for uh, David Robinson. Very interesting uh, game here. So honorable mention. Uh, this is a few years prior to him actually uh, hanging it up, but I thought this was a pretty fun uh, David Robinson game. Twenty nine points and twenty two rebounds uh, over the Detroit Pistons, January sixth, two thousand one. But uh, our actual last great game for David Robinson is. David Robinson's last NBA game ever. <laughs> 13 points, 17 rebounds, June 15th, uh, 2003, the final game of his 14-year career. Uh, at this point, he had a bunch of back injuries, and his legs were kind of going and stuff. So he he had really slowed down his productivity to this point. He had missed several games during the year. Uh, he averaged a career low 8.5 points per game uh, during the regular season. And we'll talk about it, you know some of the reasons why as, as well. He was still a solid player, but it was like you know that team didn't really need him uh, much anymore. But the accolades are, are numerous for, for David Robinson at the this point uh his legacy is pretty much already set in stone uh before this game even begins he's the 1995 of course nba mvp uh 10-time all-star one of the nba's 50 greatest players uh, i think he won defensive player of the year 92 i want to say i don't have it in my notes but i think off the top of my head uh he won it in 92 uh, and of course a one-time nba champion in 1999 he's looking to do it again here uh, on june 15th 2003 uh, of course you probably know the story of the Say, uh, you know San Antonio Spurs. I hope if you're listening to the show, you kind of have some idea. But uh, Tim Duncan, you know, takes them in the next stratosphere as uh, kind of one of the NBA's premier franchises. But Robinson really legitimizes them when he comes to town uh, in 1990. And this is a team that that really, if you do go back and look, have been a very good franchise, a very stable franchise, and a successful franchise uh, for many many years. But when Robinson comes to town in 1990, they basically, you know, that that starts the run that they would stay on through the entire Duncan uh, years as well, because they make the playoffs in Robinson's first year. Uh, and they would make it every year thereafter until 2020, uh, the lone exception, of course, being 1997 when Robinson gets hurt. And the Spurs are really not in a real rush to bring him back. <laughs> they say, ah, no, you're, you're good. You're good. You're still hurt. You're still hurt. You're good. And uh, it ends up working out pretty well because they draft uh, Tim Duncan. So that ended up working out pretty well. So the one year they lose uh, and miss the playoffs in, in that entire time period between 1990 uh, and 2020, uh, they are rewarded with Tim Duncan, a generationally great, all-time great uh, NBA player. So it works out pretty well. Uh, but as far as this Robinson game, this is as good as it gets. Um you know, he's not the player he once was. You know, Duncan becomes the star of the team and really by this point, like, has ascended into, like, one of the best players in the league. Not that he wasn't in those early years, but this is when he really becomes. And this is the first or the second, I think, of back-to-back uh, MVPs. We'll talk about his line in this game as well. I mean, he is just the dominant force, one of the dominant players, one of the best players uh, in the NBA at this point. But, you know, the Spurs are also kind of building up that that 
what they're going to be for the next decade because you have Tony Parker, who at this point I think is like the second youngest player to ever win an NBA title uh, to Magic Johnson, I think, at, at, at this point here. So he's super young. Uh, Manu Ginobili is very young. Uh, Steven Jackson's kind of a breakout star. Uh, and they all assume, you know, huge roles on this team. And, uh, you know, Robinson doesn't really need to be there all that much. He doesn't really need to be a, a dominant star. And he, he's not. He's, he's, he's okay, uh, but he's not great. He only scores 20 points in one game uh, during that final year. Uh, but he does, uh, unfortunately, have 39 games where he scores less than 10 points. So that's not the, the David Robinson of old. You know, he's still a capable rebounder and a capable defender. He's just not the scorer he once was. He's just not the explosive, uh, do-everything kind of scorer that he was. And, again, they didn't really need Robinson at this point either because uh, they still win 60 games, uh, their most since 1995. You know, obviously, Robinson's MVP year. Uh, and on this game, the final game of his career, he has 13 points on 6 of 8 shooting, 17 rebounds, and he gets an NBA championship as well. It's just a great moment. I actually went back and rewatched uh, the fourth quarter of this game because I remember watching it live at the time, and I obviously have not gone back to the New Jersey Nets San Antonio Spurs uh, NBA Finals uh, too often because it's uh, not that great of a series with not that many exciting games. Uh, but this is a pretty fun game. There's some big turnaround. Uh, we'll just talk about it here in a second. But this is the uh, 613th. Uh, and, of course, final double-double of uh, Robinson's career. Uh, it's also his most rebounds since November of 20, uh, 2002 uh, as well. As he, only had, he also had 17 uh, rebounds then. But uh, as far as the game, the Spurs are at one point down 72-63. to 63. Uh, They go on a 19-0 run. Uh, Steven Jackson hits a three-pointer to give them their first lead of the game kind of midway through the fourth. Uh, and then they never look back and they actually win in, in, in kind of a laugher that allows a lot. Because the Spurs bench was basically just a bunch of really old guys <laughs> at this point. Like, uh, if you watch the game, like Kevin Willis gets out there because this is his first NBA title, despite being in the league for 35 years prior to this. Uh, Danny Ferry is on the team, but he's so bad they don't even put him in the final minutes of the game. Uh, I think Steve Smith is there, but he's hurt, so he doesn't come in. So there's a lot of guys uh, on this team, uh, very old. You know, Steve Kerr uh, is still playing for this uh, Spurs team as well. Uh, so a lot of old guys that come in in these final few minutes and, and, and get their kind of send-offs. But anyway, uh, the Spurs win, the Nets lose back-to-back finals, and uh, New Jersey is unfortunately not going to have the distinction of having both the NBA and NHL titles uh, in the same year. They would have done that because the New Jersey Devils had just wrapped up uh, the yeah. NHL title. And uh, that's so that's David Robinson's final game. And, and I did want to point out here, Tim Duncan, a pretty good performance as well in this clinching game. Uh, he has 21 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, and 8 blocks. So <laughs> that's... Not bad. <laughs> a near oh, quadruple okay. double uh, yeah. in your final game en route to an NBA championship and a finals MVP and another MVP and all that sort of stuff. So uh, it's really cool. But uh, I, I just want to pick out some quotes as well from this final game as guys talk about you know their final time playing with uh, David Robinson. Tim Duncan says, uh, uh, for a second there on the court, the last couple seconds, I really thought, you know what? I'm not going to play with this guy again. I'm going to have to come out of this uh, onto this court without him. It's going to be weird. I don't know what to expect. So that is that is it for Tim Duncan, uh, or that's it for Tim Duncan and David Robinson. And, and they would actually share the Sports Illustrated's uh, 2003 Sportsman of the Year. It's going to be David Robinson and Tim Duncan uh, as well win that distinction. But uh, there were probably better games, but this one, I mean, you can't uh, that that final line 13 17 an NBA t- title. That's pretty good for your last game. So uh, yeah. You know, it appears as though a uh, NBA and NHL team have never won a championship in the same year. Oh wow! Okay, state. I just kind of figured that somebody must have done it at one point, but wow. Yeah, no, um, it's happened. It's happened in other sports. In fact, in 2020, uh, for Los Angeles, the Lakers and the Dodgers won um, a championship, but but it never happened in basketball, hockey, because obviously that would you know both of them would ha- be happening within you know a couple weeks of each other. Yeah, um, right, right. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind happened. of surprised. I'm trying to think, like, because I know the, the Boston Bruins. I, I, by the way, my NHL knowledge is not great, believe it or not. But uh, right, as yeah. I'm sure, I don't think yours is very, uh, very good either. But uh, no. I know Boston was pretty good during like when the when the Celtics were really good. But I guess they never actually, you know, kind of did it in the same year or, or the same time. So that's that's fascinating. You, you feel like that at one point it would have happened, but yeah, that's yeah, it, it is uh, kind of surprising. Um, Yes. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, uh, you're right. That Spurs team had kind of like a lot of, a lot of guys there. I mean, you, yeah, you, you got Malik Rose there as well. You oh yeah. Speedy, Speedy Claxton. Claxton. Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. if you want to, if you want to speed, if you want a Speedy Claxton game, if you're like, man, what's the game to watch Speedy Claxton be Speedy Claxton? I got to tell you, this NBA Finals game, he is great in this game. He is like the X Factor. He gets out there and he just changes the entire complexion of the game, and the Nets have no idea what to do. And they're like, my God, Speedy Claxon. It's it's, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing for sure. Yeah. I I imagine that he made the game faster. uh, Uh, Yeah, as fast as like. 
a 79 to oh, you know, right. 68 I mean, final would could be, but you know. 2003 gets yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's pretty fast. Yeah, it's believe okay. it or not, I actually kind of forgot the games aren't like they don't. The pace isn't bad. They just like everybody kind of stinks. They just like miss everything. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Kenyon Martin was three at twenty three. That's what game? I'm saying. Yes, yes. I'm telling you. Like oh. so, this game. You're thinking because I know what you're thinking. Like, I, and I think the same thing because I haven't watched that game in forever. I'm like, oh, what a boring game. They're probably not going to move. They run. They just miss everything. <laughs> like, yeah. they don't score. It's especially New Jersey. They just never score the basketball ever. Yeah. Well. And they they scored fewer than eighty points in three games in the series. So yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I think Richard Jefferson yeah. in one of the games was like one of seventeen or something like that. It's like, oh. what are you doing? What? Oh. Why are you missing so many games? And at one point, uh, it's Brad Nessler, Tom Tolbert, and Bill Walton. And uh, uh, Brad Nessler is like, yeah, it's a low scoring game, but the defense has been great. And then Bill Walton goes, it's not been that great. <laughs> like, just <kinda laughs> like you know, just gotta say like, well, if they'd make some shots, and you know, just gotta to say, well, a lot of open shots have been missed in this game. <laughs> You know, just because it's really uh, you, you'll see if you if anybody decides that they want to watch this game, it is readily available on All YouTube. Right. It's uh, right, it's a lot of misses. So that's there's a reason yeah. why Tim Duncan and and David Robinson were both able to get you know huge rebounding <laughs> numbers. Is right. There's a lot of balls right. coming off the rim, so yeah. Uh, yeah, plenty of opportunities. Yeah, Menge Batir is on that uh, Spurs team as well. At one point, he he high fives Tim Duncan, and David right. like David Robinson comes off the court, and his first guy he meets is Menge Batir. Nice, good career, nice. sir. <laughs> yes, way to go! Nice. <laughs> right. All right, cool. Well, that's uh, that's all we got for today. But uh, thanks everyone for checking us out. You can of course find us at the Step Back at uh, Fansided, uh, and we are also on uh, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You know, pretty much any place you want to get your podcast, we are there. If we are not on a place in which you want us to be getting your podcast, then let us know, and we will add ourselves if we are not there. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Over and Back NBA. Feedback is um, appreciated. And if you want to leave us a rating on review at any of those podcast yes, platforms previously mentioned, we would uh, appreciate that. A good review, not a bad review, because no yeah, one if likes it. If it's a bad review, just go, go to hell. Just don't listen to us. You know, just, <laughs> right. like, you know what go. I mean? Like, just don't that works. Listen. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to tell people you don't like to listen to the show. Just don't listen to right. it. You know? What's the reason for that? Yeah. How's it, who is that helping? Yeah, exactly. You know? Right. Like, who's going right. to be like, well, I was going to listen to this, but this guy right. said it sucks. So I'm not going to. Don't do that. Just let them right. listen. And if they think we yeah. suck, they can stop listening too. But, you know. That's fine. Yeah. That's better. Better for everybody. <laughs> right. All right. So, anyway, thanks for listening. I'll be back again soon. Mm-hmm.